Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I want to tell you about Lewis Edward Curtis, a Second World War flying ace from the US, one of just three American pilots to have shot down the full World War II Axis trifecta. He shot down a German plane, an Italian plane, and a Japanese plane, but that's not why we're here to tell his story. No, no. Because Curtis, a, a, distinguished, a distinguished war hero, is also known to have shot down not just a German plane, not just an Italian plane, not just a Japanese plane, but also an American plane, something that he did very deliberately for, and won a medal as a result of doing it. It is a cracker of a tale uh, suggested to me by, who else? Eric Whedon, of course. Thank you, Eric. You, you know you know it's going to be a good one if old mate Weedo's been in touch, so uh, good on you, Eric. Anyway, Lewis Curtis, he was born on the 2nd of November 1919 in the US city of Fort Wayne in Indiana, and he became interested in aircraft and aviation at a young age. And uh, by the way, if you'd like to cultivate an interest in aviation of your own, why not listen to episodes 247, 48 and 49, History of Flight, Get Across Them. Anyway, um, Curtis joined the US Armed Forces on the 6th of December 1941, interestingly, the day before Pearl Harbor. And uh, after his pilot training, he was deployed to the Mediterranean in, in late 1942, as the you know, US were well and truly involved in the war by, war by that stage. In 1943, uh, Kurds, he fought in the skies above northern Africa, uh, southern Europe as well. Uh, he, he was flying a Lockheed P-38 Lightning, very, very weird looking plane. I went to look at a picture of it. It looks like Thunderbird 2 went on a diet. But uh, he, did, he did seem to be quite a talented pilot. Uh, before long, he was confirmed as a flying ace, that is, someone with uh, five or more aerial kills. So he seemed to be quite good at what he did, and uh, even won himself the Distinguished Flying Cross in April of that year, in 1943. Um, uh, quite a notable medal for, for someone to receive, particularly, particularly that quickly early on in their career. Uh, anyway, in total, he ended up with eight kills in the Mediterranean. He shot down seven German planes and one Italian plane, but... As we've, uh, as we've already uh, sort of alluded to here, he's, he's still got a couple more to go. But in August of 1943, he himself was shot down. Now, obviously, he survived. He, uh, he pulled off a safe landing on a beach. He had some relatively minor injuries. But uh, he, set him, he set his plane on fire and then was, uh, was captured by the Italians. Obviously, you know, setting his plane on fire rather than having it fall into enemy hands. You know, the same as scuttling your ship uh, in, in, the, in the olden days of yore. Anyway, he actually, uh, after being taken as a prisoner of war by the Italians, he, he escaped uh, Italian custody multiple times, uh, sometimes with other 
uh, American prisoners of war. But he never made it all that far before before being recaptured. And eventually, because of his uh, you know tendency to 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 fly the coop whenever he could, he was bunged into a high security prison where he remained for four days. But this time he didn't have to escape because four days after being put into this new facility, right, this this high security facility, the Italians signed their armistice with the Allies. And this, of course, saw the Italians release all of their Allied prisoners of war, as is required under, under the Geneva Conventions. But the Italians went one further because they even equipped all of their former prisoners uh, to aid them in returning to the advancing Allies to the south. And... Uh, Therefore, with uh, with food and supplies and and a blanket and even a gun having been given to him by his uh, his former captors, Curtis made his way south, uh, joining up with a group of uh, around twenty other former prisoners uh, who marched together towards the Allied lines, aided as they went by the uh, by the Italian resistance. And so it was that in May 1944, Curtis finally made it back to the Allies. Around halfway bet- between Rome and Naples. He fell in with a, a British contingent who were able to alert the US that they'd found one of their lost airmen. And at this stage, uh, in mid-1944, almost a year after having been shot down, no one was particularly hopeful of, of Curtis's return. He had been designated as missing in action, and even his family had more or less given up hope of, of him still being alive. But of course, alive he was. And after getting back to the Allies, he was uh, he was quickly packed up and sent back home, back to the US, where he was hailed as a hero in his hometown of Fort Wayne. They, they threw him an actual parade and, and, and everything. Now, initially, Curtis didn't really have any intention um, of returning to the war. And also, he couldn't uh, because of the Geneva Conventions. They forbade him as an ex-prisoner of war from returning to fight in Europe, as he'd done. But they didn't prevent him from fighting in the Pacific. And so, uh, after a couple of weeks back in Indiana... Curtis ended up changing his mind about taking to the skies for the red, white, and blue. And so in August 1944, he set off to fight once again, but this time in the Pacific Theatre, this time against the Japanese. And it's here where we finally get to the really interesting part of the story, after Curtis arrived in the Philippines to support the war effort against Japan. Now, this stage, he was flying the classic P-51 Mustang. Uh, any any fans of Civilization Six will know what I'm talking about. Get that atomic era power spike, baby. But his P-51, he nicknamed it Bad Angel, and he flew about doing doing all sorts of things, bomber escorts, aerial raids, evacuation, even, even delivering some mail here and there. And uh, while flying around like this, he shot down a Japanese plane at some point, uh, giving him the the Axis Triple, again, one of only three American pilots that are, that are known to have done this. But this is not the most notable thing about his career, uh, well, in, certainly while fighting against Japan, but, but his career more broadly as well, defined by, uh, by something else that took place. On the 10th of February, 1945, Curtis wrote himself into the history books by doing something so strange, so unusual, that he may very well be the only person in history to have done a thing like this. He deliberately shot down an Allied plane. Curtis was sent off with three other planes on an unremarkable recon mission on the 10th of February, as I say, to investigate the potential position of a Japanese landing strip, an airstrip in Taiwan. Now, this squadron didn't find the airstrip they were searching for, but they happened to come across another one on an island on their way back to their base in the Philippines. And so they decided, look, look, we're, we're here. We may as well. They decide to get after it. Now, unfortunately, during the attack on this airstrip, one of Curtis's squad mates was shot down. Now, Curtis saw that he survived uh, his plane going down and hitting the water. 
And so he stuck around to help direct the rescue plane that would then come to collect this downed pilot. And as he was doing this, as he was flying around making sure that his mate down to the water was okay, he saw what looked like a Douglas DC-3 approaching the Japanese airstrip that he had been attacking. Now, the Douglas DC-3, this is an American plane. It's a transport plane. It's not a fighter plane. So it would be very, very strange for an American transport plane to be landing on a Japanese airfield. But, oh, oh, wait, hang on one second. No, 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 says Curtis to himself. It's probably... It's probably the Nakajima L2D. It's probably the Japanese version of a Douglas, this plane, more or less based on the design of the DC-3. That'd make sense. It's a Japanese plane coming into land. But no, as he flew over to investigate, he realised that this plane was indeed a Douglas. It wasn't a DC-3. It was a C-47 instead, but all the same, definitely an American plane. And what's more, this American plane had American markings on it, not Japanese markings. So, This is, by now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, an American plane with American markings that is is ready to make an attempt to land on a Japanese airfield. So what is going on here? Curtis tries to figure out what's taking place, and he decides that the plane hasn't fallen into the hands of an enemy. It hasn't been captured and is now being brought home as 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 a prize. He... He ultimately comes to the, the conclusion that this plane is, is being controlled by Americans, but is about to mistakenly land in enemy territory. And wanting to prevent this from happening, he moves to intercept it. An American pilot in an American fighter moving to intercept an American plane. Now, of course, he starts off by attempting to radio the C-47, but this doesn't get him anywhere. They're, they're not responding on the radio. And so as a result, Curtis starts to fly his P-51 in front of the C-47, trying to block its approach and prevent it from following through on this landing. But the C-47 persisted. It ignores Curtis. It ignores his efforts to, to you know, try to get it to change course. It is still very much trying to land on this Japanese airfield. So Curtis, trying to, still attempting to figure out exactly why this is taking place, he realises he has to take some drastic action here. And so he decides to open up his guns. He starts to shoot in the air in front of the C-47, again, trying to prevent it from landing on this hostile airfield. But once more, this does nothing to make the C-47 change its course. And what's worse now is that these two planes, right, Curtis and the C-47, they are now within range of Japanese anti-air guns that defend this airstrip and These guns start to fire on Curtis, not on the C-47, American markings at all, because the Japanese on the ground, they assume, well, if this American fighter that has just got done, like, attacking our airfield, if that doesn't want this uh, this C-47 to land, we probably want it to, right? We probably want this plane to come down if this uh, this fighter pilot doesn't. And so they were firing on Curtis, but not on the C-47, right? Even if it seemed like an American plane, they came to the conclusion, well, we'd rather have it land here. So now, Curtis is dodging anti-aircraft fire. He's doing everything he can to prevent this C-47 from landing, but at at an altitude of around 50 metres, 50 metres above the ground or above the sea, and only a few hundred metres away from the the airstrip itself, Curtis is really starting to run out of time. And so he decides, bugger it. It would be better for this plane to come down on the sea rather than for it to land at a Japanese airfield and have its crew taken prisoner. So... He came up behind the C-47 and he shot out first one and then the other of its engines, 
rendering it unable to actually reach the island with the airfield. It fell short. The C-47 made a controlled landing into the water near the island, falling just a few hundred meters short, as I say. And Curtis watched the crew, the crew below, exit the uh, exit the aircraft and evacuate into a lifeboat. Now, his downed colleague, uh, remember the, the, the pilot from before who had been shot down earlier, he actually swam over to the lifeboat. He was taken aboard uh, with the evacuated crew. Curtis took, took all of, uh, saw all of this take place as he was, as he was circling above. Um, and then this lifeboat began to drift out to sea a, a, a kilometre or more away from the, from the wreckage of their plane. But the problem now is that Curtis is running out of not just fuel, but also daylight. He was determined not to, uh, to, to let these people remain stranded, uh, you know, in the middle of the Pacific in this way. But he was limited in how much uh, aid he could provide them from, from the cockpit of his, of his fighter plane. So he decided to turn around. He flew back to his base in the Philippines and he let people there what, know what, had, had, what he'd seen, what had taken place. The fact, the fact that he had shot down an Allied plane. Oops. Anyway, before the sun had risen the next day, right, Curtis was back in Bad Angel, back in his, uh, in his P-51, uh, this time escorting another plane, a PBY Catalina, a huge seaplane, to where the, DC, uh, the, uh, the C-47 had been shot down. He guided the seaplane to the island with the airfield, and sure enough, they spotted the lifeboat there. The, the people aboard it had spent uh, most of the night in the lifeboat. And um, sure enough, the Catalina was able to land. It was able to collect the 12 people who had been on the lifeboat all night, the, the 11 crew plus the downed pilot. And get ready for this, because this is, this is adds another just ridiculous detail to this already incredible story, right? One of the 11 crew that had been on that, uh, on that C-47 happened to be a nurse with whom Curtis had been out on a date. But happily, all the people aboard the C-47 and the downed pilot, they were rescued successfully. They boarded this Catalina, which then flew back to the Philippines with Curtis in tow. And so everyone was rescued. They all made it back safely. But at this point, you might be wondering, hang on one second. What the bloody hell was the C-47 doing trying to land on a Japanese airfield? Well, let me tell you. As it turned out, this C-47 had become lost in bad conditions while flying around the Pacific. Uh, its radio was malfunctioning. It was unable to ask, uh, ask for or receive help. And after five hours of flying around trying to find somewhere to land, it was starting to run out of fuel. And so this situation had become so desperate that the pilot had decided to land at the very first airfield he saw... And it just so happened that the first airfield that the plane came across was a Japanese one. Now, with no radio, with no way to confirm where he was or, or what was going on, this was obviously a, a desperate measure uh, for, for this pilot to have taken. And not probably wouldn't have been his first choice when it comes to a place to land, because it would have been a... Uh, would have been a pretty awful outcome for the crew aboard the C-47 to have landed on this airstrip. They would have been taken as, as prisoners of war. And um, being a prisoner of war in the hands of Imperial Japan was uh, not a pleasant experience, to say the least. But thanks to Curtis coming along and shooting them out of the sky, they did manage to avoid this fate. In the end, Curtis's decision to shoot down one of his country's own planes proved to be a very good move. It saved all of those aboard the C-47 from, from the horrors of a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And for doing this, just, just think about this, right? For deliberately shooting down an American plane, Curtis, an American, was awarded his second Distinguished Flying Cross. He also received the Air Medal as well. 
But that's only the beginning because check out what else happened. This is my favourite part of the whole story, right? So, Curtis, he, he was, as officially as it was possible to be, he was credited with another aerial kill, even though this kill was on the same side as him, right? His tally before this, it had been nine. He'd shot down seven Germans, one Italian and a Japanese plane as well. But shooting down this American plane officially brought his total to ten. But if you believe it, it gets even better because, right, Curtis, not only was he credited with uh, with, with a, a, an extra kill having brought down an allied plane, right, but at this time, um, to represent their scores, right, Curtis's score being 10, uh, to, represent, to represent their scores, some pilots would paint or mark the sides of their aircraft with the insignias or the flags of the planes that they'd shot down. And so before all of this... Curtis's P-51 Mustang, it had seven Nazi swastikas, one Italian Regia Aeronautica Roundel, and a Japanese Rising Sun flag on it. But then he went ahead and added one more flag to this tally as well. You can go online. You can see this picture. You can see Curtis grinning down from the cockpit of his plane, Bad Angel, which is adorned with not only all of these markings I just mentioned, but also an American flag to go along with it, signifying that he had indeed shot down a US plane in wartime. Curtis continued to fly and fight for the US until the end of the war, but uh, he didn't score any uh, any further kills. And uh, after the war, he flew as part of the Berlin Airlift in 1948-1949 and eventually retired from the Air Force in 1963 and lived another 30 years before dying in February 1995 at the age of 75. But... To this day, to my knowledge at least, Lewis Curtis remains the only American, not just to have deliberately shot down another American plane, but also to have been awarded a medal for doing so. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.